Hey, 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 welcome back. It's The Kids Are Not Alright. I'm Emily. And I'm Anna. And we're two siblings talking about queer stuff. Um, And as you can maybe hear, I am still sick and I'm sorry (laughs) for the audio quality. (laughs) Whereas I'm in the best shape of my life. Yeah. So I I apologize for any little coughs or sniffles or whatever uh, in advance. So because I know I listen to a lot of podcasts and I know sometimes I'm like, oh my gosh, this person should not be recording right now. <laughs> so I'm I'm sorry in advance. But you're that. doing it for love of the game. Yep. 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 We got a real trooper here. Uh, clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. Yeah. Um, okay, so this week our topic is more of an overall gender. I would say it's more of an overall gender, gender. zone. Um, I think it's important to not like because neither of us identify. Neither of us are trans. Yep. Um, and that's a really important thing to acknowledge going forward. Um, and I feel like Emily and I have both been thinking a lot the week leading up to this, uh, how to most like responsibly and like in the most considerate way, um, talk about gender because I don't identify as cis, but I don't identify as trans either. So I'm a big old sissy. So (laughs) that's me. Um, yeah. So yeah, so I hope that you that we come at this in an okay way. Um, so I think just to start out, uh, we can talk a little bit about our own experiences with gender question mark in our own lives. Yeah, um, super down with that. If you want to start, Anna. Ah oh, yes. Ah <laughs> uh, yes. Um, so I mean, like. I don't know. I've, I like where to start. Um, I remember like, so, okay. I think we have to go all the way back to the bangs incident. <laughs> I um, thought you were going to say back to the womb and I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> no, God, no. Uh, so like I, when I was really little before I was, I was like in preschool or something, I cut my bangs off because I wanted them gone. Um, <laughs> well, and you just had kind of a fascination with scissors because you were in yeah, kind of a... I loved cutting things. Yeah. Um, and so anyways, I cut that off. And then, you know, that that lit the fire uh, to, like, a years-long affair with cutting my own hair. And the night before spring picture day of the first grade... I decided to give myself a haircut, uh, <laughs> and it was so close to the scalp in some places that 
they just had to cut it all off. But I had to take the pictures yeah. with my, like, messed up hair. <laughs> and, like, it was just a disaster. Anyways, uh, this led to me cutting off all of my hair. Uh, yeah. And spending about three to four years of, like, my childhood just with short hair. And, like... That doesn't sound like a big deal, but, like, you know, kids definitely name their universes. Like, they name all of the things in their universe. And, like, with my friends, when we would, like, play pretend, like, I became the boy in a lot of situations. And, like... And sometimes mistaken for a boy. Oh, yeah, all the time. Like, and I would get to go to the beach and take my shirt off and just, like... (laughs) you know, go around and no one would know any different. I just looked like a, you know, little boy in a Speedo. Um, And so, you know, I don't know. Like, I don't know. That is definitely not, like, the reason, but that's just something that I remember from being little. And, like, it, it was also weird, not weird, it was interesting going between, like, the spaces my mom was a part of and the spaces my dad was a part of, and how adults treated my, like, ambiguity. Because I also just, like, didn't really like, you know, I liked pants, because they're, like, you get to be more active in them. Um, Yeah. So, yeah. I'm just going to act like an interviewer right now. (laughs) Oh, yeah. That's that's good. I need direction. um, I need direction. So when did you first hear the term non-binary or gender non-conforming Ooh, well um probably in college when I was like aware of it but I knew about trans identities from a very early age because in my elementary school there was a trans boy and like I knew him and uh, it was the kind of thing where I was just, like, so, like, well, duh, like, he's a boy, this is what his deal is, why aren't people letting him be a boy? Like, why would anyone let him be anything other than a boy if that's what's up, you know? Like, so I think that that was also, like, a, a perfect storm helpful combination of just, like, our moms being, like, so on it, and then, you know not teaching us to hate that. Um, Yeah. So when, when would you say you started to identify more strongly as uh, gender nonconforming? Over the last year, honestly, um, I had a really hard time with it because like for the longest time, I think I was so uh I so tightly held on to an identity as a woman because I think there was a part of me that was like almost stubbornly like I if I had to live the last 20 years as a girl like <laughs> yeah you know like I better get my money's worth as a girl yeah um and then when I was in Chicago I like cut my hair off and I realized how much I'd been using like my appearance and and it just brought into it brought into focus a lot of things about how I relate to my sexuality and how I relate to my body 
and like it took a bunch it took time to like build these realizations and to like work on it but yeah. just kind of realizing that my relationship to my femininity had been a purely utilitarian one because and that was linked to my sexuality which was that like I was so staunchly like trying to be so male centric in my life about like my desires. Uh, and then, so I would curate my, my appearance and like, be like, well, like they won't want you if you look like a boy. Um, and, right. <clears throat> and also I think just in the spectrum of attention, yeah, like you had tons of positive attention based around your looks. Cause yeah. I do say so myself. You are gorgeous in whatever form you take, Thank but especially you, for oh, those listening. Oh, I was a babe. <laughs> yeah, for those listening, Anna had really long, luscious, blonde, thick, beautiful hair, which a lot of people are just like, oh my yeah. gosh, you are gorgeous. Yeah. Because Anna is gorgeous. Thank you. But I, but, um, yeah, I'll let you. Yeah, I'll but it was just continue. this like big, it like felt like a tool and like my clothing yeah. and the way that I would dress myself, it was all, and like I hadn't, like this is a like retrospective thing, but like all of my clothing, all of that had been utilitarian to get me what I wanted, which was male attention. And then over the past like year and a half, two years at this point, I just started, I started with cutting my hair to like a bob length. And then from there, just like slowly unwrapping and like, and honestly, the tipping point and like some people laugh at me for this, but the tipping point was the second I let myself order a pair of cargo pants. (laughs) Because, because... (laughs) Up until then, like, I hadn't realized how much I'd been policing what I would let myself wear and what I would let myself do. And, like, to be honest, I don't think I started looking cool uh, until I started dressing in the way that I always wanted to. Um, Yeah. And it took a lot of, you know, it was a scary thing for me because to just, like, take that leap and to, like, deal with the lag of... I spent a lot of time being angry, honestly, after I started. I had a moment of, like, happiness and honeymoon of, like, yes, these cargo pants look great. Like, oh, yes, my <laughs> hair is short. Like, I got like I got myself a pair of clippers. Like, I am working it out. Like, I look so good, yada, yada, yada. And then, like, it was, like, crickets. Like, I expected, like, all of these people yeah. to just, like, flood. Like, oh, my God, you're finally living your life. You're so hot. Let's get married. Like, and I realized that, like, and I spent so much time being angry. And then I was like, what? Like, you're doing what you were doing. Like, don't you, like, uh, yeah. like, it, it was just realizing that I was trying to get back into that, like, vicious spiral again. Yeah, of cargo um, pants for the views. <laughs> Yeah, and, like, (laughs) relying on what made me happy to, like, in order to be happy with what I chose for myself, I needed the, like, outside validation of other people. And, like, you know, I think a lot of people, when when they hear these stories, and it's definitely not, like, a fraught, like, I was actually super lucky because 
two of my closest friends in college also, uh, in the last, like, year of college, like, really came into their own identities as identifying as non-binary people, and I was so lucky to have two people who knew me and who, like, knew my heart and knew my deep, dark things to, uh, be able to talk with me and, like, celebrate with me about this identity, and, like, I was able to, like, talk it out when I was still even questioning. Like, I didn't, I didn't have to, like, just declare it. Like, I had a safe, like, incubator. Yeah. And I, I so recognize my privilege in that. But when I tell people about, like, how long it took me to get here, so many people are so surprised by how recent it's been because they think it's, like, a forever thing. And I, again, I also recognize the privilege that I have of, like, I was talking to my friend about this and I realized that I'm so lucky because my mom will be happy with whoever I bring home to her. And that includes partners and myself. Like any step that I were to take, like on Christmas morning, I had a conversation with her and her (laughs) girlfriend about late capitalism, poly polygamy and polyamory and uh, like identifying as non-binary And it was, like, the chillest, like, (laughs) conversation ever. And um, I recognize that privilege. And I recognize that it's, like, she'll be happy about me or a partner that I bring home. Whoever it is, as long as it makes me happy, she'll be happy. And I recognize that privilege. But I think a lot of people are surprised that how long it took me because of the supportive environment that I have in you and that I have in our mom and that I have in my friends And I feel like, you know, not to be that person, but, like, society really is intense. Like, it's intense. And I I feel my heart breaks because there are a bunch of kids that we're friends with at the restaurant. And seeing them, like, get socialized, you know, in the, like, like, there was one who started kindergarten this fall. And just seeing the changes in her, like between before she went to kindergarten and after and like of course like she's growing and she's like learning so much and she's so smart but it's just like crazy to see how early and how quickly and I've had to have the conversation with them they're like five or six and I've had conversations with like four of them where they come up to me and they ask me so are you a boy or a girl yeah and Because I also have, like, at this point, I've let my mustache grow out, and I kind of have sideburns, which, you know, who knows how they're there, but they are, (laughs) and I'm just welcoming them, you know? It's like a, you know, like It's our genetics. Yeah. Um, But, yeah, I, it's gender, man. Yeah. Um, So, how do you feel about pronouns? Um, mm, Just as in my interviewer role. Yeah. as an interviewer, I will ask you, uh, do you staunchly uh, insist that people call you they, them? And a follow-up question is, uh, how do you feel and what do you do when people refer to you as she or as him? Mm, mm. Okay, so... uh... (laughs) I like how this is like a professional interview. (laughs) I love, I love this. This is so productive. Um, okay. Uh, first question first. They, them. Um, so 
I always respect the pronoun that people use. Like, if someone is like, I use they them, I use they them for them. Yeah. Uh, I have a few people in my life who uh, have a bit more fluidity in their relationship to pronouns. Um, But I also know people who, like, calling them by the wrong pronoun or using the wrong pronoun for them is a very destructive practice. Right. And... Uh, so it's, it's a fine line because for me, I also have a complicated relationship to it because, uh, I don't mind when people use any pronoun for me. I prefer they, them, uh, but I understand, I, I have a lot of complicated feelings about it because I feel like in some respects I am being destructive to an overall conversation where, like, someone might compare me to another uh, gender non-conforming person or non-binary person or trans person where it's like, okay, so Anna doesn't care if I use she or they or he, so, like, why should you, you know? Yeah. Um, and I And I think that also just the term preferred is so destructive because it implies yes. that it's a preference, like, yeah, I prefer my coffee without cream, but I can handle it with cream. Yeah. And, like, pronouns are not that. It's, like, yeah. what pronouns do you use? Um, so it's, yeah, I have a complicated relationship to it. It's also complicated because, so at the restaurant, um, there we have a very bilingual situation there in English and Spanish. And yeah. all of the people who speak more Spanish than English, there's no, like we talk about gender and we actually have really interesting conversations about gender and like, and God also. Um, but like they, we don't have, like I am fine with them knowing me as she, because I don't like, I feel like a really dangerous thing that a lot of white, uh, queer people do is exclude, uh, people of color from their spaces in like a lot of ways but one way is just like like I know that my friend hasn't read like the queer theory that I have and like right like we'll have conversations and and she's super down to talk about it but like I'm also not gonna be a jerk to her about yeah. like I understand yeah, it's it's a hard it's a it's an yeah. interesting compromise to make. Well, and that kind of goes into just a little sidebar that I have really quick is um so I uh spent um 6 months in Argentina studying abroad in Buenos Aires and um while I was there, I mostly hung out with a group of people that called themselves the Lesbo Feministas. <laughs> and um, so while I was there, I was really immersed in a lot of um, like Argentinian political activism and gender activism. Um, and so while I was there, I was around a lot of Spanish speaking people who used um like non-binary terms for themselves and were very mm. passionate about including that in the lexicon. But again, like with what you were saying, like it, it's super hard to then go out of that, like 
bubble of yeah the very bubble is so edu- real very educated people who uh are constantly immersed in these like activist groups and then go out into mm-hmm. like a working class situation where people are not as you know wanting to talk about what terms to use or what they mean and especially for a lot of Spanish speakers, uh, the language itself is like a huge point of contention and pride. And um, I have a a link that I'll tweet that's all about um, like gender and colonialism and basically how uh, a lot of like a lot of uh, gender and gender terminology uh, comes from like a European colonialist mm-hmm. kind of structure. Um, and there's a lot of great literature out there about um, pre-colonial uh, gender in the Americas. And Although I will Africa. say if you're a white person and you call yourself two spirit, yeah, no. I will hit you. <laughs> no. <laughs> Um, yeah so it's it's not speaking of colonialism like it's not about that it's it's (laughs) basically kind of looking at the language and where it comes from and like as a a white queer person especially a white cis queer person Mm -hmm. you know to be kind of creating this new lexicon uh to be really mindful of who you are excluding and including when you create yeah. this lexicon. Yeah, so um, real. And kind of like like Anna was saying, like I think it's really like I respect and like am so in awe of people who struggle with dysphoria and being misgendered all the time and like I feel for those people so much. And I can't imagine the strength it takes every day to go through that. But at the same time, if you immediately shut somebody down instead of opening up that space for a conversation, I think like that's where we really need to work in our queer spaces on like inclusivity. Well, it's, it's Eve Sedgwick's essay. I will trumpet this essay until my last dying breath. Uh, Eve Sedgwick, Eve Sedgwick's essay, it's a chapter in her book about paranoid reading versus repetitive reading, um, particularly in, like, a queer context. And I feel like, uh, especially in queer communities where there's so much hurt and so much injury to contend with, there's this feeling of, like, exhaustion of, like, I just can't take any more. Like, yeah. I can't, like, deal with this. I can't look at this. I just need to be in a place where, like, I can, I can feel, like, safe. Yeah. But I feel like as white queer people particularly and like as white pe- as white queer people there's a there's you have to kind of swallow some of it because like or just uh, handle it because there is a type of like rehabilitation and like reparative action that we all need to do where it's like um, there, uh, one of the people in this family at the restaurant is, like, identifies as a gay man, 
and we've had a lot of conversations with the family in general and with him about like sexuality and about his gender and they were like is he trans and he was like I'm not trans or like he's not trans and there's just a type of conversation where it's like where I feel like a lot of white queer people use the excuse of like self-care as a way to isolate themselves from having to have potentially difficult conversations because like there's a certain type of education that isn't colonial that is a conversation it's not education it's a conversation it's (laughs) it's hearing their thoughts hearing like hearing thoughts hearing a side and then giving your thoughts and giving your side and like it's a give and it's a take and I think that like there's a lot of shutting out that white queer people do where it's like well like I just have too much to deal with and it's like no like yeah you have a lot to deal with I'm not invalidating that but it's just like something that I've definitely dealt with is like you know moving with the fear rather than yeah being paralyzed by it um, yeah, or as as we say in the uh, in the liberal left, just lean in. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> um, well, but and that. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Go. Oh no, but it's it's. I think also like. <sighs> I don't know. Yeah. There's it's there's so much. So um, I oh, can we talk about names? Well, yeah. I just have a quick um, yeah. follow up question. Yeah. Is um, so. How do you respond to people who are really negative about uh, your gender presentation, uh, or oh, like well, like what I you got... were saying about like moving with the fear and yeah. doing things yeah. like that? Well, um, because I totally practice everything that I preach. Uh, let me tell you a story about how someone called me a tranny at. Uh, the bagel time, which is a local bagel establishment. Yeah. So I wear a lot of, I started getting, I start, I wear real tree, but particularly my, uh, focus this winter was a very rare type, which is the snow real tree. Uh, and I was wearing my binder and like short hair, had my mustache. Uh, and for some reason, whenever I wear my Timberland boots, like people misgen like think that I'm a dude more yeah. for some reason. Um, but anyways, this guy, I was in line, like I ordered my bagel and the guy sees my real tree and it's like, Oh, nice real tree, man. And I turn around and I go, thanks. And he hears my voice and like, looks me up and down. I can like hear him doing like the calculations <laughs> and like, I see the cogs turning like a gif like, of Zach Galifianakis with all the numbers floating in front exactly, of his face. Exactly. Exactly. And and then he just laughs and he's like, "What are you, a tranny?" What? And then I just because I, you know, like to move through my fear and am never at any point in my life uh a weenie. Uh <laughs> I didn't say anything and <laughs> left $10 for a $3 bagel and what? ran out. The guy was really big and scary. Did and he work there? No, he was in line behind me. Oh, vey. And 
you know, I mean, I'm really lucky to exist in such a beautiful queer bubble where it's like, <laughs> like the restaurant I work at, someone actually wrote their one of like a college sociology paper about how the restaurant is a queer space. Yeah. So like, <laughs> I'm pretty lucky. Uh, but you know, the Hudson Valley, there's a lot of, uh, people who are not accepting, who are not tolerant, who are not loving towards people who do not pass. Um, which like the other interesting thing is that, so in Hudson, so I, I go by the name Anna on this podcast, um, and with me, which and is with why it's on this podcast. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, like, in my life in Hudson, pretty much everyone knows me as Wheeler. Uh, and I had a, like, two or three month long period where, uh, like, it just became, like, such a true nickname where, like, everyone started using it. And it was just like, well, duh, like, you're Wheeler. And I was like, yeah, duh, I'm Wheeler. Like, <laughs> obviously. Yeah. Um, but, like, a lot of, like, a few people who, like, a few people at the restaurant who I work with who are, like, also queer and, like, also have spent a lot of time thinking and, like, living their gender and sexuality were, like, because a few people in Hudson knew me from before, and so they call me Anna, and they're, like, the people who are queer, like, were, like, like, are you okay? Like, does that make you feel weird? And I was just like, well, no, but now that you brought it up, like, I do feel weird. And then I kind of came around to it where it's like, there are people that I do not feel good when they call me Anna. And yeah. I realized that it's because we're, and I feel like you bringing up the term dead naming is really important here, um, where I don't feel bad across the board when people call me Anna because Anna isn't dead. Yeah. Anna is just become like a part inside of me, but Anna is not wholly me. Yeah. And like the day that I find a name that I feel like is more wholly me, I'll start going by it. But like, I don't feel chill with, you know, a person who follows me on Instagram who like, I've talked to maybe three times or like a person that I used to go to college with calling me Anna because yeah. like, that's not, yeah, it just doesn't feel good. Yeah. Um, whereas, but like, I, but like I you ever see myself calling you Wheeler because yeah, like we're both wheelers. <laughs> exactly. Like, so I'm not going to call you my own last name. <laughs> yeah. Um, or like some of my closer friends here, like, they call me Anna and that's fine because like I that's a part of myself that like I let them know about and let them see and like that's fine but it's like yeah in my outer life I am Wheeler and so it's you know this interesting thing which again I always worry about and kind of check myself on uh because again there are people who if you like Dead naming is a serious issue. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, so last little interview question for you mm -hmm. is um, how do you feel about our 
like because so just for a little background like you have not told our dad this is how you present so I was actually um, worrying about that because yeah, I'm... so that was my, my final yeah. follow-up, which <laughs> is how do you feel about kind of, <laughs> like, either <laughs> pretending to be cis or uh, kind of doing it for this kind of... Uh, I, I wouldn't... I'm not going to say, like, self-survival because it's not that extreme, but just kind of to... Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, um, well, time, only time can tell with that one, <laughs> um, but you know what, I think... Or like, like for instance, dressing up for fancy events with our extended family. Oh my god, yeah. <laughs> um, so the dressing up for events is just like, it is a kind of survival thing. I know that they won't get physically violent with me, but... Uh, I just, uh, it's terrifying and I am not, I, I just don't have the strength. Um, yeah, there's no other way to put it. I think about our dad. I honestly just had this crystal clear memory of one time. So when we lived in California, um, the drive home with our dad was like a 45 to 50 minute drive. And we would always drive past the Six Flags. There was a Six Flags that we would drive past. Yeah. And I remember it was just him and me in the car. And it was when I was visiting right before I got surgery. And that was a really intense visit. Uh... Because, you know, I don't have, my relationship with him is hard. I don't have the closest one, I don't have the closest relationship with him. And, like, I know that he's trying. Um, Yeah, which I would say is true for both of us. Yeah. Uh, But, like, when we were in the car, he was just kind of like, and this is just fresh after, um... Our mom moved to Chicago, and Emily was living at home for the first time, and trying to like, f- like figure out yeah. what <laughs> just living a lot with of depression a lot of is stuff, like. A lot of stuff was happening. Yeah, a lot of stuff was happening, and I feel like our dad has always like, I don't know. I just always remember the Maggie Nelson quote in in the Argonauts, which like I have also a complicated relationship to, but. She's talking about when she wrote to her stepdad about being a step parent, and she was like, "Why would I blah, 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 blah. like she was so confused?" And then he just wrote back the simplest response that is like ring that still rings in my head, and it's you overestimate the maturity of adults. Yeah, and uh, I feel like for most of my childhood, I was so focused on our stepmom, who was a lot more like directly pressing of an issue. Uh, yeah. that when my life stopped including her um I started realizing like the more latent like skeletal issues that I have with our dad and our mom um but so you were dad, driving past six flags yeah, so we were driving past six flags and he's like so uh what like 
what position do you see? Like, what relationship do you want us to have? And I was yeah, like, he's uh, asked that a couple times to us. Yeah. And I never really know how to respond. But in that it's moment, such like a weird question. <laughs> yeah, we had a long conversation about the church and about like, you know, me feeling because like I hated going to church. It was like a screaming issue. And like looking back, probably just because like I hated the church clothes. I hated everything about it. I hated the standing up. I hate pretending like you're having fun. Like I hated, I hated all, so much of it. There were rarely good snacks at coffee hour. I hated like, oh my God, there, you, you name it. I hated yeah. it. Um, it, but we were talking about how he forced me to go to ch- like that aspect and like how that turned me off organized religion and like, you know, the, the anyways, so we're talking about that, and then he was just like, "Well, you don't really tell me about your life," and I was like, "Why do you? <laughs> yeah, like, why do you think? What? What about like? <laughs> oh, like what don't you get here? Yeah." And he was just like, "Well, just because like it's not what I would choose for my life doesn't mean I don't want to hear about it." And I was like, "Huh? Like what do you like?" Yeah. <laughs> And I think that I'm still kind of stuck in that moment with him where, like, I know he wants to know about my life, but I genuinely, like, nothing about the decisions he has made make me feel comfortable sharing that with him. Right. Like, I genuinely don't know what I would do. I don't know what I am going to do. Not what. I I don't know what I am going to do when I have a non- male partner yeah uh and like no i do know like i'm gonna make him i'm gonna have them meet and like da 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 like i'm not gonna lie about it but you know i just the, the theological decisions that he has made have not made it like a conducive environment to like me feeling comfortable about sharing that kind of stuff yeah no totally and, like, um, honestly, also, people in his church... So I cut my hair off again. I grew it out, and then I cut it off again when I was 13. Great puberty decision. 10 out of 10. Totally recommend going through <laughs> puberty, growing out a horrendous pixie cut. <laughs> like, oh, my God. But um, when I cut it all off again, members of his church actually came up to me being like, why did you do that? And, like said, like, you used to be so pretty. Ugh, that's the worst. And so it's, like, that kind of stuff is what made me, like, is what contributed to the, like, utilitarian, again, the utilitarian, like, well, gotta be femme to be pretty, like, gotta be femme to be attractive, um, and gotta be attractive to, like, do it and attract a mate. Um, Yeah. But, like, so it's just the kind of thing where it's, like, and I was talking to him recently, and I, it's just hard to know what to say anymore, you know? Yeah. No, I totally get it. Um, any last remarks on gender before we move into our other section? Um, I mean, like, geez, like... <laughs> it's a big topic, and I'll, I will say... Like, it's obviously a topic that spans not just one episode, and... But, like, honestly, Emily, I don't know if you and I should ever really, like, 
you know, definitely report on news about trip, but it's like we're here to, on this podcast to talk about our experience. No, exactly. Like, That's what I was just gonna say. Is yeah. that and so, I think that this is the the most um responsible like right and so in talking about our own experiences yeah like we have a lot of different experiences uh with gender and I would say like Mm -hmm. if you are trans or if you know people who are trans like it's it's not our place to like you know tell you what to do or whatever um so we're like this this episode of this podcast was just to kind of acknowledge and give space to yeah um just like gender non-conforming people and or I guess the acronym is TGI transgender gender non-conforming and intergender oh you know what I do have a point to make I understand why the the markers of um oh AFAB and AMAB exist yeah but i want to say very directly and clearly that like i had a trans friend of mine reach out to me and say i it's really destructive when you say uh amab because like i am a woman yeah and like I, like, it is a backwards, insidious way of still calling me a man. Yeah, exactly. When you say AFAB and AMAB, it is, like, whatever jargon you want to use, like, it's still, dis- it is still disrespecting the, whoever you're using that term ch- with. Yeah. So, um... I, in, in talking about like the fact that we are not really here to speak on the issues ourselves, but here to kind of, uh, hold people up who are here to speak for these issues. Mm -hmm. Um, like that being said, there are some really awesome podcasts out there that center trans voices. Uh, and so I would just like to mention a couple of those real quick. Mention Um, them. I will put a disclaimer at the top. Um, I haven't actually listened to any of these because I haven't had time. But uh, so I so in case they're awful, I don't know anything. <laughs> I'm just reading this off of a list uh, that Bitch Media put out. So um, the first um, is done by two Australian trans women. Uh, it's called Trans General, uh, and it's a podcast. Uh, I'll just I'll just quote the article. <laughs> uh, it presents informative and humorous discussions on trans issues. Uh, it presents trans topics in an approachable way for listeners unfamiliar with transitioning, and it's a good way to educate people in a way that's not particularly confronting. Um, so basically, they t- they cover a bunch of different topics. Uh, they cover stuff like polyamory medical gatekeeping, gender dysphoria, transphobia, blah, 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 all the stuff. So um, this article, I will also say, is from uh, last year. So I don't know if they're still going, but they do have a Patreon, and uh, their podcast is on iTunes if you want to check them out. So, um, Oh, that's the other thing. That's the other thing, is if you are enjoying, like, 
so I follow a lot of like trans people and gender nonconforming people on Instagram. And if you enjoy their content, most of them have a Venmo. Yes. And like I am so freaking into the like if you if you have someone that you're like, yeah, ooh, and you follow them on Instagram and you just like are into their like whether it's like a meme page or that's like a more art zone thing or like a modeling thing or they're just sexy as hell, like if they have a Venmo, pay them. Yeah, exactly. Pay them money. <laughs> pay them money. If yeah. you are enjoying their goods, pay them money. Yes. Pay them money. Good good job. <laughs> I support I support that. Um so just really quickly a couple of the other podcasts. Another podcast is called How to Be a Girl and um it's basically oh, yeah. uh it's uh, about uh, transitioning as a child um, and it is um, it's just about um, a mother uh, tackling her experiences uh, with her anonymous daughters transitioning yeah. uh, and it's honest and detailed yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's a pretty cool series yeah. uh, so check that out how to be a girl what were you going to say Anna? oh I was going to say um, another one last thing I have to say out of my like list of three last things I've been saying <laughs> is um, when you watch, I feel like a lot of people have a hard time when they watch media or consume media that involves a um, trans experience or a trans narrative, uh, figuring out if it's exploitative or not. Uh, yeah. And there's a long history of trans people being exploited uh, yeah. by in media in general. Um, one of it is, uh, the Doris wish, the Doris Wishman movie, let me die a woman. Yeah. Uh, and she is like really exploited. Like she found this like surgical footage and it's of, 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 uh, an actual gender marker reassignment surgery happening. Um, and like, she just made this movie that is so like the poster for it. I'm looking at the poster on it for my, on my computer and the tagline. So it's called let me die a woman. And the tagline is all true, all real. See a man become a woman before your eyes. Ugh. And it's this like, you know, sensationalizing it. And like, it was almost meant and it was shown in like sex movie theaters, like, yeah. like porn movie theaters. And like, again, did they get paid? Yeah. Like, are they feeling safe? Like, you know, and looking at, yeah. I think, and that goes for not just trans people, but also like, you know, you can extend that further. But I think that it's just like, yeah. Yeah. Like whose voice, whose story is being told, whose yeah. voice is being lifted up. Yeah. So or if you just that- want to look at the long tradition of cis men playing trans women. Yeah. Let's not even go there, but uh, in the vein of history, the last podcast I'm going to talk about is called One from the Vaults. And um, it's done by a Canadian writer and activist, Morgan Page. Um, and One from the Vaults is basically uh, a more journalistic look at the history of uh, trans men, trans women, and genderqueer people, um, basically across all the 20th century's history. Um and basically, uh, different episodes talk about 
uh, stories of different trans people, um, talks about different cultures, different societies, uh, and touches on some different influential people. Um, and basically it's good if you want to kind of, uh, learn more about the history of kind of this movement and different people who have paved the way, especially if you feel like you're just a little baby queer and you don't really know much about, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. the people who have paved the way, uh, that's a good podcast to listen to for that. Um, so that that's kind of different podcasts that you can go to. I have a ton of different resources, which I'm try- I'm yeah. going to try and go through yeah. uh, quickly. Um, and again, I will tweet out from our Twitter. Uh, it's at kids are not all right. Just the letter R, not the word R. I'm going to tweet out all these different um, links to the different things that I'm going to mention here. So don't freak out if I'm going too fast and you miss different details. Um So on the note of what we were just talking about, which is media, um, trans voices in media are super, super important. Um, And one of the things that you can do um, as an ally that's really important work is if you have a local library or if you have, uh, you know, like a local movie theater, um, You can go to them or write to them or, you know, whatever, email, (laughs) um, (laughs) and encourage them to include different trans, uh, trans productions or trans media, uh, in their spaces. That includes like art galleries, that includes everywhere. Um, if you see a space that is not including trans people, always, uh, feel free to speak up and ask for them to be included. Um, so this one uh, link that I have here is for an anthology of fiction by trans women of color. Ah. So if you haven't read, uh, if, you, if you can't remember the last time you read a book by a trans author, or if you think you never have read a book by a trans author, Mm-hmm. Do it. Just pick it up. Um, mm-hmm. If you're not a reader, some of these are on uh, audible.com. Some of the most important uh, narratives can also, like I was saying, can be found in books because in film, it's a lot harder to find really true and honest um, reflections of those issues. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and just joyful stories too there's um there's plenty of joyful stories about trans lives uh in books as well and uh, I don't have time to go through every single list of every single book that has been published by a trans author or about uh a trans character um Mm -hmm. but I will tweet them out and I will say growing up my one of my favorite books uh was a um, a young adult fiction book, um, which was called Luna. And, um, it was about, <gasps> yeah, yeah, it was about, um, oh, a, yeah, a young that was trans so girl. Good. Yeah. So, um, again, like finding these books and talking to like your, I know this sounds so cheesy, but I have a lot of friends who are librarians and they care so much about, um, <laughs> I mean about books, but about, community especially so if you go 
to your local library. And even if, you know, you live in like a small town or whatever, like your librarian, I guarantee you will be interested to hear about, you know, some book that you heard about by a trans author that you can't find in your library circulation. So, Mm. um, and a lot of librarians, um, I mean, you know, the good ones, um, will have lists of books that you can go and talk to them about like, Hey, I want to read about, um, a book about a trans character that doesn't die. And they'll be like, Oh, I heard about this book and they can help you out. So librarians are really cool. Shout out to anybody out there who's librarian. Um, and yeah. And young adult fiction is especially important with these kinds of issues. Um, so true. So well, and also kind of like, like being around kids and have, and talking about gender with kids <laughs> uh, has also been like a real challenge to not just tell them what they think yeah. and to like ask them and to, again, have it be a conversation rather than just like putting information on them. Yeah. So, um, kind of in that vein, there's plenty of books that will put information onto you and into you. <laughs> um, and those are, there's like a bunch of nonfiction, um, books. There's, narrative nonfiction there's plenty of autobiographies of trans people out there to read um and gender non-conforming people uh so if you want more of that in your life um go and look at our twitter and i will tweet out the links um so uh, kind of in that vein um i kind of touched on this but uh if you're listening and you're somebody like me who is cis and kind of, you know, looking for things that you can do to help out um, the transgender community, uh, I have a list here that uh, there's a website called the, um, it's the National Center for Transgender Equality. And the website is transequality.org. Um, and they have a ton of resources. Um, so, they they do great work with uh, helping people to know their rights and um, how to take action on different issues. Um, so I'm not going to read the whole 52 items of things that you can do, um, but some really important things that you can do for the trans community is, especially if you're white, take an anti-racism course. And it doesn't even have to be... Yes. Like, it doesn't yes. have to, it doesn't have to be a huge long college course. A lot of these just have like day long seminars that you can go and our take. Our mom took one. Yeah, our mom she just took several. one. Um and I know the Southern Poverty Law Center gives great um kind of seminars on how to be uh like an active anti-racist ally. Um And that's really important for trans equality and for uh, supporting the trans community because I know I I said we weren't going to talk about trans death in this issue, but basically in this issue, what is this, a magazine (laughs) in this episode? It's um, whatever we want it to be. Yeah. Uh, But the majority of trans people who are losing their lives in violent ways are trans people of color. Um, and it's, you know, it's a huge, terrible, awful divide and, uh, you 
like there's <laughs> I just you can't begin to consider yourself a trans ally until you can be fully anti-racist and that's not just saying oh I'm not racist that's being actively anti-racist and working against racism so that's one thing you can do that's really important um other things you can do is you can uh, help fund scholarships and like donate money and like Anna said like money check out people's paypals you know Venmo like there's plenty of ways to support if they've got merch buy it yeah support your local transgender uh people Um, if they're doing a show and there's a suggested (laughs) donation don't take it as a suggestion do it (laughs) um another really important thing that isn't write letters the pink and black i think it's called the pink and black foundation uh for trans prisoners who Hey, you jumped the gun. I was going to talk about that. (laughs) Oh, yes. Okay, you talk about it. You have more information than I do. Uh, No, you you go because you just started talking about it anyways. One of my coworkers uh, and one of my friends. So one of my friends organized an event, a letter writing party, which is another thing. Organize parties, call reps, write letters, like do all that. Um, But they had a letter writing party to trans prisoners uh, because an organization sets that up, which Emily, if you want to talk about that. Um, well, I don't know if it's the same organization that you did, but the one I was going to talk about is called TGI Justice. Um, and it's the Transgender, Gender Nonconforming, and Intergender uh, Justice, which is um, advocates for trans prisoners uh, and their safety. Um, and the good news is they're currently hiring... So if anybody wants to go work for them or, you know, donate to them or volunteer for them, uh, that is another huge, huge issue in the trans community. Um, and you know, it hasn't been going on. It's, it's, it's not just since Laverne Cox was on Orange is the New Black that it's been a problem. It's always been a problem and, uh, they really, really need your help because they're, they're an underrepresented uh, faction in kind of activism, especially, yeah. you know, LGBTQ activism doesn't yeah. really focus on prisons <laughs> per se. So uh, check them out. I will tweet out again, the link to them. Um, and then kind of uh, jumping off of that. Uh, oh, another wait, the organization is a different one than you just said. So, can oh, I so say, back? yeah, say yours. Okay. So black and pink website, blackandpink.org. Uh, their purpose, I'm on their website, Black and Pink is an open family of LGBTQ prisoners and free world allies who support each other. Our work toward the abolition of the prison industrial complex is rooted in the experience of currently and formerly incarcerated people. We are outraged by the specific violence of the prison industrial complex against LGBTQ people and respond through advocacy, education, direct service, and organizing. One of the main points of organizing that they do is the Pen Pals Project, where it's, um, they match, uh, prisoners with people in the outside of prison uh to write letters and one of my coworkers did that and they received responses Woo-hoo! and it's great um yeah. so kind of on that note um another concrete action that you can do is um if you know i there is definitely where you live there is a homeless shelter and that homeless shelter 
I guarantee you has had at least one trans person pass through. Um, and a lot of, uh, a lot of activists focus on the rate of homelessness, uh, especially among trans youth, but there isn't a lot said about what you can really do to help. Um, so one of the things that you can do to help is actually go to your local homeless shelter or, you know, multiple homeless shelters if, if you feel so inclined. Um, and you can help them actually develop trans-inclusive uh, supportive policies. Um, and there's uh, an organization, the National Gay and Lesbian Task Force Policy Institute and the National Coalition for the Homeless um, issued uh, a resource called Transitioning Our Shelters, a Guide to Making Homeless Shelters Safe for Transgender People. Um, so you can access that report um, as well as contacting any local uh, LGBTQ groups that are in your area and kind of float this idea by them if you're a member of the community um, because it's definitely an area that needs a lot more uh, shoes on the ground and work um, because one in five uh, transgender people, um, it, I don't know where these statistics are coming from, but they, they, capital T, they say that one in five transgender people in their lives uh, end up needing assistance of a shelter. Um, so that's an area, again, that can use a lot of uh, yeah. help if you're an ally. Yeah. Um, so again, I will tweet out a bunch of these links um, and obviously a bunch that we didn't cover. Um, and there is, there is a bunch of what we didn't cover out there in the world, especially mm -hmm. on the internet. Um, yeah. So go support some people. <laughs> yeah. But this, to be, to be clear, is that, like, just because we're running out of time in this episode doesn't mean that, like, this episode closes the book on, like, us talking about trans people, their lives, how much their lives matter, uh, right. talking about gender, talking about all that, like, uh, This was just you know, a, a, an opening, an amuse-bouche, yeah. an amuse-bouche, if you will. <laughs> yeah. This is just opening up the, the, the book. Yeah. This is not closing it yeah. whatsoever. Yeah. Um, Thank you guys so much for listening. Yeah, thanks for listening. Um, and everyone send good energy for Emily to heal. Yeah, please. <laughs> um, good news is that our podcast can finally be found on iTunes. So yes. please, please, please go and subscribe and like and rate and all those good things um, so that we can get noticed. Yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah. again, um, go check out our Patreon um and you know check us a few bucks here and there uh and follow our twitter we love you guys yes. thanks for listening love you and uh bye bye we'll talk to you next week bye bye bye